Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. I'm Pete Wright. Is this a test? Today we are talking about Minute 25, which begins with a dummy and ends with a bottle. Joining us on the show today, and sadly for the last time this week, it's Father David Mowry. Hello, Father. Gents, I just I just have one question. Why me? Just just one? <laughs> I, I guess I suppose, we'll never know. I suppose that is the most important question. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having me this week. I've, I've so enjoyed the last uh, four days of talking about this movie with you, and I'm really excited to talk about this last one, because there's just a lot of great payoff that happens in this minute. Oh, boy, it's a juicy one. Yeah, this is great. Uh, we get the the end of this sacrifice and the realization as as we've got the ADR voice in the background. Dominic Grenade. It's great. Yeah, it's clearly an ADR line to explain <laughs> to uh, the audience that no, it wasn't actually a grenade. It's great. And I think the other the other tell is when when it cuts to a, a medium shot, uh, you have Agent Carter and she just has her hands on her hips. <laughs> it's like she does. She does what's going on. I was wondering how many times do you think that she has seen this trick from Phillips before? Like, is this something that Phillips regularly does with his troops? I don't think so. And I think it's been something that that uh, Father Mowry noticed yesterday. She runs yeah. toward it, too. I don't think she would have run toward it had she had she known this was a trick. I, it's just great with her hands on her hips, though, yeah. I know you're naturally cynical. <laughs> I am. I know. I'm always down. I'm doubting Thomas. No, but yeah, Carter yeah. would have had no problem rolling her eyes like, oh, it's the dummy grenade trick again. I suppose it is Thursday, isn't it? It's is about time for that. Right. That's true. Even my grandmother would fall for that. God rest her soul. Because she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> or she did fall for it. Oh, oh no! <gasps> Yikes! Oh. I know! Oh, Mima Carter deserved uh, better than that. That's, that is just mind-blowing. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, oh. Got some more of that uh, Lex Trapnel on her. Oh, no! <laughs> Jeez. no. <laughs> just doesn't end. All right, well, this is the, I mean... Okay, we got to talk about this. This is this great payoff, right? I mean, the music swells. You get the fantastic faces of Colonel Phillips, like dour, up, upset that his his little perfect test that he had here backfired on him. And of course, Erskine is just yes. thrilled. And then, of course, you get the beautiful falling in love Dolly. <laughs> I call it, you know, just the the perfect Dolly in on Agent Carter as she just you know smiles glowingly mm -hmm. at Steve. Uh, let's talk about these three characters. Okay, but again, is this... All right, stop everything for a minute. <laughs> As you know, I have an ongoing love feud with David Mowry. And we Ring need, the bell. To, it's we another need round. to get to the bottom of this. Is, here we, we're back. This, is this a love dolly or is it a love dolly for science? What, Pete Wright, <laughs> what is scientific about this moment? There is no experiment. There is no control group. There is no kind of documentation here. It is an, a, a response of a woman who sees a man of surpassing moral quality who responded the same way that she did. So she recognizes a kindred spirit, someone who is likewise willing to lay his life down in line, as Agent Carter clearly is as well. It's not lingered on in the last shot, but she moves towards that grenade. 
Wouldn't it be great if they both dove at it and like bonked their heads? <laughs> and bonked their heads? That's the ultimate cat meat cute right there. Yeah, you exactly. You want to talk a meat cute? They, yeah. <laughs> we met over a grenade. I think there is still a sense. She doesn't smile. It is her lips close. It's not a smile. It's not. Oh, it's like I think she's finally wow. there, and she says, she says her inner head voice is saying, "Okay, this is our guy officially." I am on. Yeah, the primary emotion is that of being impressed that she is struck by the response of this guy. But I, I, I agree with Andy. I think there's a love dolly happening here because this is this is going past just her brain. There's her her British heart is moved by this little guy from Queens. You don't get a dolly with with Colonel Phillips and Erskine. mm -hmm. It's it's with. Agent Peggy Carter. You get a you get a linger on Erskine because his whole face changes. His whole that is a that is a that's a love smile. Paternal. That's paternal. That you know what? I want Stanley Tucci to smile like that to me. It's a paternal. <laughs> right. All right. Look, I'm going to keep my position on this mostly because I feel like I uh, have been bullied by both of you into my position. <laughs> and now I have to maintain it to the death. So. You just don't like bullies. Pete. <laughs> it's all for science. Bullies for science. <laughs> Uh well all right well that's that's Peggy uh I I you know the other the other face that's here that we haven't talked about is Hodge because Hodge has this great huh what look on his face because he's just oh such gosh. a doofus he has no <laughs> idea what's happening when yeah when they say it's a dummy grenade it's it is a great like huh like what and and but it's almost like I also think there's a little bit in his reaction the way he kind of like lifts his head up slightly and like looks around is like did anybody notice that I I'm the one who ran behind the the jeep <laughs> nobody saw that right uh-huh. yeah I think he's totally doing that and Erskine is very gracious in victory he doesn't need to say anything he just he just looks at Phillips but I love I love Phillips line still skinny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he just has that. And then Erskine just has that little shrug. It's just, yeah, mm-hmm. they are great. It is such a great. This would be a great one shot, like the further adventures <laughs> of Phillips and Erskine. Like, I would love to see some more between the two of them. Oh, like a buddy, <laughs> like sort of a lethal weapon kind of a thing. Exactly. <laughs> I, think that we, I think we're owed that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as we know, give the people what they deserve. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think Erskine has a, you know, a long and happy career ahead of him. So I think there's lots of storytelling <laughs> so, opportunities for that. So much, so much. You know, you'll live for a very long time. You can oh, just yeah, stop. for sure. Just <laughs> um, all right. Well, any last bits about, uh, you know, we've been out here on the practice field. Uh, any last bits here before we head into the barracks or should we just go inside? I just want to say great work by the extras. Uh, in this scene, both yesterday and today, they're not calling too much attention to themselves, but they're they're selling the "oh danger" kind of sense, where they're they're just kind of squatting down on the ground, <laughs> like I don't know what good that's going to do you if the grenade goes out. Like getting lower to the ground seems bad because that's where the grenade is. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you'd think that. Well, I don't know. I I wonder what the training is for grenades in these situations like is it i think what the training is that the colonel just pulls one out of a box and throws it in the middle of the practice yard that's the training (laughs) that's that's the extent of it (laughs) that's so funny so funny um oh so 
we cut to the interior of the barracks, and I, I want to get a sense from the two of you, what sort of uh, time jump are we having here? I, at, you know, at first I was just like, okay, so Steve's, we're just cutting in, and Steve is just chilling in the barracks. He's reading his book. But as he has this conversation, you know, uh, Erskine comes in and, and talks to him, and it's the whole thing where he's just like, can't sleep? Got the jitters, I guess. Ha ha, me too. Okay, so so time must have passed because it's it must be the middle of the night. Neither of them can sleep. Steve has the jitters. It makes me think that a decision has been made and we have now picked our guy and we're moving forward with the super soldier plans. And for the first time, we have evidence of it in the production design. All the beds are folded up. Yeah. There's no one else living in the barracks with Steve. Mm-hmm. He is a lone mm-hmm. soldier, guinea pig. In no, the, gerbil, uh, Pete, in, gerbil. In, in, gerbil. Oh, God, <laughs> you're right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Continuity. Uh, he's the lone gerbil in the, in the Quonset hut. <laughs> yeah. So something happened. Yeah, I, it's a, it's at least the end of the week. I wonder if it's not farther on from that, because I imagine there has to be some kind of processing, some kind of prep work they have to do with Steve before he shows up at the lab. Yeah, you know, some kind of diet or you know something more than just the penicillin. Get that get a sandwich, <laughs> right? Doesn't he? I mean, surely there's some sort of prep. There's got to be some sort of pharmacological Mm. prep. We're in that zone where there's a balance, obviously, between military need for speed because we are in the middle of a war and we want to get this super soldier thing going so that we can actually use this soldier to help win the war versus, you know, I have to take my time to make sure everything is prepped according to plan so that we don't muck this up. And so, yeah, I think we're in that fine line. I mean, obviously, as we will learn in later minutes, we have a whole team of people working behind the scenes, led by uh, Howard Stark, working to kind of get everything perfected and everything. We just aren't seeing all of that. But at this point, it does feel, I don't know, I guess when I watch this, I always feel like it's a very quick jump like all of a sudden we're like okay everybody's gone and you're moving into this and it's only been a day like it really feels that way to me too much story not enough movie yeah 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 i guess the tell is also he's wearing the ssr shirt uh which i mean Mm, i do love that ssr shirt but that's the other thing like he's officially part of team ssr now yeah Mm -hmm. truly he's uniformed he is in his uniform and and then they have this little conversation here and you know steve has a question just one why (laughs) me and we're going to get into this. We don't get to get into it. I'm sorry, Father Maury. You don't get to get into this with uh, us. Because well. the only question that matters, the answer that we get is we get the schnapps from Augsburg, his mm-hmm. city. Now, why me is the question of every good hero. Yes. That right. we know we uh, that kind of introspection, that kind of self-reflection is the sign of if someone who recognizes I've been given something that I don't fully comprehend or understand. And it's a question that, you know, for all of his other flaws is a question that Tony Stark asked, which was, you know, my week on Iron Man Minute talking about uh, him coming to terms with the fact that I survived. There's a purpose. There's something I have to do because why else would I have survived? And some of that survivor's guilt, but part of it is also just wrestling with that sense of vocation, that sense of calling. And so here for Steve, he's he's had a literal uh, discernment process here, a, a qualification to be this person. And he knows physically he's not the right guy for it. Yeah. Uh, and that'll that'll 
be something I, I explore a little bit later in the episode. But it is it is good to hear a hero who is not taking this great amount of power he's about to receive with a sense of entitlement. Yeah, because we we I mean, from a from a dramatic perspective, we have to have him at some level at least consider the call, if not completely refuse the call. Right. right. I mean, that's just mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. part of the story. And uh, and in in this regard, he really is only questioning his viability to even receive the call. He doesn't really ever not face it. <laughs> right. That, that's not this character. Well, it's, yeah, because, I mean, he wanted the chance. You know, back in the recruitment office, you know, Erskine tells him, I can give you a chance, only a chance. And that's that's all he has. And that's all that Steve wanted. He's had his chance. He's proven it. And it's interesting, like that it's at this point that, you know, he's made it this far. And now he is having that just a, a brief questioning. I mean, it's interesting the way that it does play out with his character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, before we get into um, Augsburg, I wanted to just mention Augsburg real quick. The SSR logo, this is what Ryan Minerding, we've talked about him on the sh- on the show in previous seasons. He is kind of the, the Marvel designer behind a lot of the looks of the films. This is what he said about the SSR logo. He said it was a way of unifying the modern S.H.I.E.L.D. logo with its 1940 counterpart using the eagle symbol, as well as using the eagle's wing as a symbol for Cap's helmet and the invaders. So I think that's uh, what I, I really love the logo because it does instantly call to mind what we get with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Captain America. And it's I, I like the way that it does end up feeling like there is this unification of all of that as time goes on. And, you know, it's an eagle, the most American bird. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, geez, Steve, you know, Captain America in the comics has the eagle wings on his helmet. It's like, on his helmet. That's right. Yeah. Oh, uh, as far as Augsburg, Augsburg, uh, Germany, it's in Bavaria, which he will uh, also tell us later. And, um, you know, I don't know if I have a ton about Augsburg. It's in southern Germany. Um, you know, it's I, I I don't know. I guess I like that there's an element that in this particular case, there is a real city. So often mm-hmm. we have these moments where it's like this fictional thing or even Camp Lehigh, yeah. which isn't really a place in New Jersey. It's actually uh, Virginia. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, they actually picked a real city. It's not some made up thing. Uh, What's interesting about Bavaria as a that perked my ears when I heard Augsburg, because southern Germany is a very Catholic part of Germany. However, Augsburg is not. It's a very Lutheran part of Bavaria. Back in 1530, uh, there was the Augsburg Confession, a kind of Lutheran confession of faith that was presented to one of the the princes in the area. And probably uh, Erskine is Lutheran in terms of his own faith tradition growing up. Augsburg was famously a, a free city for many, many years. And so operated independently of the other holdings and and little baronies and fiefdoms around it. So there is just an interesting bit of Reformation history with Augsburg that speaks to some of why Erskine will say what he says. That I, I like to believe that Erskine is a man of faith because a lot of what he says next week, which we, we can't talk about, uh, I think comes out of a biblical idea. Uh, the sense of choosing the weak to shame the strong. Mm. Whoa. Uh, okay. I feel I feel like I want to hear more about that. Right, we're really I'm really cursed not to have that conversation today. <laughs> <laughs> choosing the weak to shame the strong. Can you talk more about that just briefly? 
Well, that, I mean, that, no biblical spoilers it. here. Well, of course not. Well, I, 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 I have this as the main topic of Christ in the Cape. So should we just move oh, into yeah, that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're, we're going to talk more about, uh, you know, schnapps next week uh, <laughs> and everything else. <laughs> so I, I think we'll be okay. Uh, yes, let's move on to Christ in the Cape. I don't think that there's really much more in this minute. So, yeah, take it away. Schnapp, schnapps. Now, what's his top four on IMDb? <laughs> <laughs> the schnapps was invented by Johan. Anyway, so. Christ in the Cape, for our final installment, I want to talk about this idea of divine election. Steve asks the only question that matters, why me? And he is answering, he's asking that question in a sense of being chosen for something that he knows he is not qualified for. This is a common theme within the Bible. So many figures within Scripture are not qualified for what they are called to do, from Abraham to Noah to Moses to David to uh, the apostles. All these figures throughout Scripture are not qualified from a physical or human standpoint, but they're given something that enables them to do what needs to be done. Now, the difference is they're not given super soldier serum in order to complete some worldly task. They're given the grace of God to succeed on other terms. They don't succeed in the world's terms. They succeed on God's terms. And so that line I said earlier, that God chooses the weak to shame the strong, comes out of St. Paul's meditation on this scriptural theme. God doesn't choose the winners in order to be his chosen people. He chooses Israel, which is this dusty band of nomads who are in slavery in Egypt, who do not become a great world power. And if it were not for the Judean Christian tradition— Israel would be a footnote in the annals of history, overshadowed by Babylon and Assyria and Egypt and all the other great powers of the the ancient Near East. And that idea of choosing the weak to shame the strong is something that runs throughout Scripture, because in that way, God makes it clear that when he acts, he is not acting on worldly terms. He is not choosing the physical. He's not choosing strength. He's not choosing what the world values. He is able to act in a different way, in kind of a lateral thinking way. And this is continued with Jesus choosing the apostles. He chooses nobodies. He does not pick Pontius Pilate, the governor of of the (laughs) Roman occupation, to be his disciple. He picks a a couple of roughneck fishermen. He picks uh, an imperial lackey and the tax collector. He picks a zealot, and he, he picks all these people who you wouldn't think would be qualified. And yet, from that group of initial disciples comes a religious movement that is now billions strong. Uh, So the power that's granted in the scriptural idea is not worldly power, but it's a power that subverts the world. And that ultimately is something that I always go back to as the reason why I enjoy the superhero stories, but it's not what motivates me in my life. Because the power that superheroes ultimately hold is within the context of the world. It's, It's strength. It's the ability to overcome something through force. And the more radical gift, the more wild promise that's made through Christianity is that the power that's granted is in the world, but not of the world. It is something that is able to survive even through death. Because you know, if Captain America dies, that's it. He's not saving the day anymore. Jesus dies and rises from the dead. And it's in that defeat that the day is paradoxically saved. And so 
as a Christian disciple that enables me to face all the difficulties, all the seeming strength of the world and say, okay, I may not have what I need, but I know God grants the weak what is necessary because it is his power that's made perfect in weakness. And so there is a way to understand Captain America as this kind of symbol of this idea of choosing the weak to shame the strong, which will be reflected in what Erskine has to say to him tomorrow. Uh, it's just that that strength doesn't have to come through vita rays. It's strength that is available to those who, who make that act of faith, who make an act of trust. It ultimately comes down to relationship and love, that there's an act of believing that God is real, that his power is active in my life, and I can trust myself to that, not in a mechanical process like Erskine and Stark do in their mad science, but in that simple act of humility, that I can accept my weakness on its own terms and know that even through that, God can still act. And that, in fact, the grace of God is the ultimate super soldier serum. I think that's what I <laughs> got out of. Curse. <laughs> well, I mean, you can, you can hear it that way, but that's not what I meant to say. Oh. I love it. I, that's, it's just <laughs> always a fascinating perspective and uh, one that I'm so glad you picked these minutes because I think that's the, that's the perspective. that It just adds such a, a wonderful additional layer. I still... I, I have to say, just as a personal reflection, it it hurts my heart a little bit uh, to hear you, even knowing that that Cap is your favorite superhero. But because I hang my hat so firmly on the fact that Cap is Cap's strength comes from his uniqueness in his power to be uh, a, a reflective of the change that goes on around him. It mm-hmm. hurts my heart a little bit to come to this new awareness that, yeah, he still can't really make change until he's a hunk. And yeah, exactly. that, that kind of hurts. That kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. I need to reflect on that some more. This has been a fascinating week. How great would the movie be, though, if if they say, OK, you are now our super soldier and they pat him on, on his on his shoulders and say, OK, here's your gun. Go fight. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> go get him. We'd You've like proven. you to go rescue gonna... those guys, but do it on foot, please. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, it has been... I think he would run, jump out of an airplane with just his shield on his back. <laughs> you guys have made me a sociopath. It's, you know, this, that's what this show does. If, if there's anything mm. that we have proven time and time again. Watching movies one minute at a time yeah, and then talking does. about them for 20 minutes at a time. It, it's not a healthy way it to is, enjoy it something that, for sure. crazy for sure. Uh, well, Father Maori, it has been a fun and insightful week. I'm thrilled to have had you on for this particular week, as Pete said, because just rich conversation with these uh, moments. So thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Remind everyone one, one last time where they can find more about you. Uh, if you want to ping me on social media, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Father Mowry. That's F-R-M-O-W-R-Y. Or if you're interested in more of my Christ in the Cape segments, you can find all of my appearances on Superhero Movies by Minutes at my website, FatherDavidMowry.com. Fantastic. Well, everybody, that is it for the week. We will be back next week, uh, starting off with Minute 26, and we'll get to find out what's going on with this (laughs) bottle of schnapps. It is fantastic. Pete, thank you, as always. (laughs) Why would he jump out of an airplane? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, never mind. (laughs) Until next time, true believers.
Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>